Hello everyone. This is this episode is the highly anticipated um interview with uh, my friend Kevin. I say that cuz I said we were going to do it and then ended up delaying it a few weeks because of scheduling issues. Um but here it is. Um I think you'll enjoy it. Uh, Kevin was great, very open and honest and I think very uh informative and helpful. And I think you'll enjoy it. Uh, so, without further ado, here's the episode. Okay? Let's go. Hello, everyone. This is the podcast, The Story Is. The Story Is Actually Somebody Else. I have a guest with me today, uh, Kevin Schofield. Hello. Kevin, how you doing, Kevin? Good. I'm doing good. Good. Glad to good be here. Uh, what we have today is uh, now Kevin is not a perfect stranger that I just um, jumped on Craigslist or some odd <laughs> website and said, you, sir, uh, let's record a podcast. Um, I've known, I've known him for, I want to say it's, has that been a good nine years? Uh, probably, uh, probably more than that. Um, wow. I mean, I want to say we met in 2000, maybe 2008. Okay. Was it 2008 uh, or 2000? It was, it, it was either 08 or 09. Yeah. So, so a good, a, a, if not a decade, pretty close to it close to it. Um, yeah so we've been we've been friends for a while um and you've uh you know you've made me aware of you know certain issues and things and stories that you'd like to talk about um so i figure that you yeah and you actually did con- you co- actually did the proactive work and contacted me and said hey, yeah i want to talk about so i'd love to hear your story all right um uh well i guess i'll begin with um so i'm an actor um and um and and i've spent most of my life so you're wealthy uh, yes yes i'm calling you from the hollywood hills uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh no no unfortunately not um but uh i've spent most of my life in a profession that requires uh, getting into the shoes of other people um, and doing a lot of things that most people would consider uh, frightening or uh, would be, would drive up their sense of anxiety and fear, you know, speaking in front of people, uh, let alone running around sometimes acting like a fool, <laughs> other times acting, you know, like in strange ways in front of a whole bunch of people who are going to judge you on whether that was good or not. <laughs> right. Um, so you develop a, a pretty tough skin when you, or, or you, you try anyway, sometimes you, you develop a version of it. Um, but um, I have struggled for most of my life, at least as far back as I can remember, maybe back to high school, senior year in high school with mental illness Um it first came to mind as a thing in my life in uh, around July or August of 2015. And I was actually in Hawaii, believe it or not. 
Hmm. Um, which is, I mean, if you're, if you're going to have a mental breakdown, I mean, usually people have a mental breakdown somewhere else and then they go to Hawaii or like something right. like that to, <laughs> to kind of unwind. Yeah. <laughs> usually that's the solution. Like I, that's it. I'm going to Hawaii. Yeah. Uh, but I was already there and it actually started on the plane ride there, uh, waiting in the, in the air, airport. I suddenly started feeling this really strong pain in my, uh, in my groinal area, uh, to say it nicely. Right. Um, and it was just a pulsating thing and it was hurting a lot and it hmm. kind of carried over and it would kind of come and go. It wasn't, it wasn't that, I mean, it hurt. Yes. And it, it ended up being something I needed to take care of, but it wasn't this major end of the world thing. Right. But while I was in Hawaii, I kind of couldn't enjoy it because I kept thinking, and this is not a, an exaggeration. I thought I had testicular cancer. I thought I had something. I thought something terrible was happening, and I thought that I had something fatal. Right, uh, which is um, perfectly logical. I would naturally float to that. Yeah, and but the thing is, is I hadn't. I mean, I hadn't even. It, it was coming out like physically. I would be shaking. I wouldn't be able to. You know, it would. I didn't want to go out. Um, mm. You know, I would. I was moping around, um, almost like I had been given a death sentence. Even though it was all just in my head at this point, I didn't even go to a doctor to see what it was. Right. And then finally, the pain just got so much. I was like, I need to see someone. But we're on Maui, and I mean, what are we going to do? So we went to an right. urgent care. And my mom took me there and uh, my wife, who uh, we, we weren't, I think we were engaged at this point. Uh, we were definitely engaged at this point. Yeah. Um, uh, she was with me. And so the two of them took me to this place and they basically did all these tests uh, on me. And they said uh, it was just some sort of internal infection, just a benign thing that occurs from here and here and there. Um they gave me some medicine to try out and said, just talk to your, talk to your doctor when you get home. The medicine was just for pain. That was it. Um, they said it, it, it's usually something that just will pass naturally and just talk to your doctor when you get home and you'll be fine. Huh. And then all of a sudden I was good. I was on top of the world and my mom. And when we were done, we went to the pharmacy, we got my medication and on the way back to my car, or back to our car, my mom kind of pulled me aside and said, you're about to get married. You need to clear this up. Okay. You were freaking out just like your father. And my dad does this a lot too. And oh. it really kind of drives the family kind of not crazy, but it's, he, he, he's, he's a very pessimistic person. And I mean, he's at the age now where like he could possibly get something that is like, life-threatening because you know he's an older age mm -hmm. yeah. uh, but he assumes like everything is doom and gloom and oh. and it's usually me and my mom trying to cheer him up and tell him like no it's it's nothing and it's not like a huge thing it's just kind of almost like a pet peeve yeah but she was like like she kind of looked at me like you're you're doing what he's doing but worse so oh go home and get help because 
you're about to get married and this is no way to start a marriage is by burdening not burdening but like having something that you haven't looked into and burdening your your future wife with that right from the beginning right yeah doing doing what you can to not add you know any more tension to to you know your life together absolutely naturally Absolutely. And it it was my mom had never really been upfront with me about stuff like that before. And it was a definite kind of like, oh, I guess this is serious. And I didn't think I was acting terribly out of the ordinary. This is just stuff I've always done. I've always felt this way about things. I've always assumed the worst. Um, and I just thought it was normal. And I thought the feelings I had, the physical feelings that came along with it were normal. Um, but I mean, I went, I went, when we got home, uh, I went to my doctor to see about the issue. And while I was there, I asked him to refer me to someone to talk to. And I got referred to a therapist and uh, I started talking to them and they basically asked me all these questions. And then at the end, they said, uh, basically, from what you're telling me, you have you have a multitude of things you you have generalized anxiety disorder and a type of depression that is known as dysthymia although now it's more known as persistent depressive disorder well good because i think i can spell that i couldn't spell (laughs) yeah uh and so basically i mean my history with this kind of stuff goes back probably to high school senior year in high school where it's all the normal high school things, but it 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 was like I was into this girl, she wasn't into me, and I had a hard time dealing with it. But not in the I'm sad, I'm gonna listen to me, you know, I'm gonna listen to the cure and cry, you know. Right. Like you know, uh it, it was more like I have no appetite, I can't sleep. Um I mean the good news was I was I was a little overweight at the time and I did wow. a lot of because I wasn't eating very much and I did a lot of walking, I actually lost a lot of weight. <laughs> and that I was actually probably more healthy in my from that from my whole life up until now. That was probably the, the healthiest I've ever been. Um even though mentally it, it wasn't. Uh sometimes uh when I would see her around, I would get really upset almost to the point of uh you know, I would start shaking, physically shaking. And, you know, I mean, that's just an isolated incident that I can remember. But there was always stuff like that in college. Um, you know, uh, by the time I got to college, I, you know, the, the, the girl asked out in high school. That was like my first attempt at a relationship. Second attempt after that, you know, she ended up being my prom date and all that. I asked her out. She said no. And then, you know it just ended very poorly. You know, she ended up going with out with one of my best friends at the time, uh, which I was a little upset about. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. um, Good. But, but, you know, and then, and then I got to college and, you know, uh, I mean, this is a side story, but I, 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 that's okay. It's a, it's, you're getting a bonus story. (laughs) Enjoy. I, I was doing a show um in in Antioch and I think this was before I met you and uh I met this guy and all of a sudden I started 
feeling attracted to him. And it was this weird, like, well, this is new. Yeah. Um, and it was my, you know, and at this point, I mean, to fast forward that story, essentially that kicked off this whole thing of me realizing I was not on the, on the Kinsey scale of sexuality <laughs> for anyone who's familiar with it. And who is, is looking at the scale right now. Yes. Um, if you're looking at a scale that has, uh, you know, two sides and then a middle, um, I thought I was all the way over on one side. And it uh, turns out I was kind of fluidly moving back and forth somewhere in the middle. Hmm. Um, and But that didn't end well. And uh, I started smoking marijuana at the time. Um, and by the time I got to San Francisco State, I just withdrawn from everything other than, you know, staying at home. You know, I started drinking at the point, but not not like heavy drinking. I didn't become an alcoholic or anything, but it was like, you know, I would get drunk because it made people look at me and laugh. And I thought it was cool, I guess. And right. It made me feel better about myself. It was kind of a social crutch type of a thing. Yeah. And otherwise, socially, I didn't, I kind of withdrew from everything. Um, in fact, when I met my wife, it was after a class and she said, and we, we've been talking for a really long time and I kind of started to like her, but she asked me out on a, to, she had tickets to see a play and she was going to see it with one of her friends. Uh, but he just got sick, so he couldn't go. And she wanted to know if I wanted to go. And in my head, and I tell this to everyone about how we met in my head, I was saying no, because my whole perspective up until that point has, had been every time you set yourself up for failure, you know, relationships are just never going to work for you. So just say no, be alone and be happy with your career and things you can't control. Right. So I, I was thinking like, no, I'm going to say no to this woman. And instead I said, yes. And she was like, great. Uh, well, and then we worked out the details. And then I walked away thinking, how did that happen? <laughs> you know, and if you I believe in I like, did. yeah. And if you believe in like serendipity or like love at first sight or anything like that, I, I don't. But, you know, maybe it was that. But anyway, um, but I mean, I was so reserved at that point and so withdrawn. And I had such a negative view of myself. And, uh, part of me felt like I should be alone and I tried to convince myself I wanted to be alone, but really I was just alone and I was trying to make myself feel better about it. And not mm. only that, but I was trying to make myself feel like I deserved it for one reason or another. Um, and then, you know, and it just kind of built and, right, you know, and the, that negative self image led to whenever I was in any kind of social interaction just all this anxiety bubbling up inside of me and i'd start shaking and i'd start feeling sick to my stomach sometimes i'd feel like i was having a heart attack or something my heart would start beating really rapidly wow um and it would kind of feed one another i'd, I'd feel that way and then i'd about just any random thing and then i'd get depressed about it and I'd be so depressed about it that, uh, you know, I'd get anxious again. And, you know, it was just kind of this 
one feeds the other. Yeah. So then the Maui thing happened and I get diagnosed. And I mean, before I went to therapy and I was trying to diagnose and I was trying to digest all of this. Uh, I ran out, you know, I, I knew nothing about mental health or mental illness. Uh, when they told me I had generalized anxiety disorder, I, I knew what anxiety was, but generalized anxiety, I had no idea what that was. And this depression, I was like, I know about major depression and I know about like depression in general, but this whole specific disorder, like what, what is it? What are you talking about? Like, right. I knew nothing. And I, and I, I had all these stigmas in my head about there's a certain type of people that go see therapists and seek psychological help. And there are certain people that don't, there's nothing wrong with that, but I'm just not one of those people. Right. That was my, in my head, mm-hmm. you know, there's a specific type of person and that's not me. Um, uh, so I ended up just randomly found this video online and I think it's still online uh, with Will Wheaton. Um, the actor Will Wheaton, who, was essentially talking about, he essentially was diagnosed with the same thing I, I got. And he was talking about his experiences with it mm-hmm. and getting help and how it's changed his life. And it just kind of encouraged me because I'm like, here's this guy who's like a Hollywood actor and everything. And, you know, I mean, I mean, this guy's like, he can call up Patrick Stewart if he wants and be like, hey, Patrick, you doing anything? Like, right. And, and you know, I, I was like, and he's talking about all this and it was just, it kind of made me feel a little better. And I started going to therapy like twice a week or not twice a week, but uh, every other week. So like every two weeks I would go and then it turned into once a month. Mm -hmm. And then eventually they were like, uh, because of my health plan, they're like, technically you get 10 sessions and you're done. Um, and I was at the point to where I felt like I don't think I need the therapy anymore. No. Um, now I still see a psychologist, which is different. Right. Um, they, they fulfilled the same purpose, but they're the ones who can give you medicine. So I still see someone about that, like still like, but it's every like three or four months, maybe. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I still take medicine every day and, um, and so, I mean, if I can back up the, cause I know some people are listening and they're like, and I've said generalized anxiety disorder, I've said depression and I haven't really explained exactly what they are. Right. Cause I think, um, cause when we talk about, we use those terms, um, like anxiety or depression, um, I think it would, this might fall under the category of some misconceptions. It yeah is the possibility because like when some folks some folks hear like depression or anxiety they're just thinking people who just like feel sad now there's a difference right there is a very big difference um i'll start with the anxiety uh generalized anxiety disorder if you go on wikipedia the foundation of all our knowledge yes um <laughs> long may it rain <laughs> absolutely um it, it describes it as excessive, uncontrollable, and often irrational worry interfering with the daily functioning. Um, now, unfortunately, we don't have a word stronger than worry. 
because it sounds very benign and kind of like you know not that bad it sounds like you're you're afraid you're not going to make your your uh, your plane yeah that's what that's what worries it's like oh you know what i might not make this connection yeah but the essentially what it is and it it, it kind it sometimes at least with me can have like a snowball effect where like um you know I mean, the the example I, I used before, but in a different context is like, um, you know, I was at my job, let's say, and um, I have a little thing and my back starts hurting. Mm-hmm. Um, well, you know, that happens, backs hurt, but then it just every day my back hurts and it's like, why is why is this pain not going away? And then... What happens is I start thinking, well, it keeps hurting because I'm overweight and I'm doing this job. And um, so I'm putting all this pressure on my back uh, and putting all this pressure on my back probably means that uh, something's wrong because it's not getting better even when I rest. Uh, So that means I have some kind of disorder, uh, probably cancer. you know, just like that cancer in the movie 5050, you know, I saw that movie and in it, <laughs> he found out he had cancer because they did something because he hurt his back and it was this little thing in his spine that turned out to be a fatal cancer. That's the cancer I have. I have cancer now. I've, and wow. you know, I'm 30 years old and uh, I'm going to die and I still haven't done anything. And you know, what am I going to tell my wife? You know, we have all these plans. How am I going to say goodbye? That That's kind of what the anxiety is. It's, it's, well, there's a, there's a big difference. So yeah. anxiety is that I feel sad as opposed to my back hurts. And then the anxiety kind of causes you to spiral to think I've got the Joseph Gordon Levitt from 50, 50 cancer. Yeah. It's completely irrational to think that you would have that type of cancer because you hurt your back the possibility is just you're doing work every single day involving your back and you know you heard it once and but you kept going back to work and doing the same job so you're not giving your back time to heal that's why it keeps hurting like mm. it not that you have cancer but right. the thing about mental illness is it kind of gets you in a state where you convince yourself that the worst is possible it can you convince yourself that what you're worrying about that that there are facts you know you you cherry pick things here and there to convince yourself that it's true Mm -hmm. um now i mean there there are other different anxiety disorders like panic disorder uh where it's just a sudden onset feeling of well essentially panic and i've had a few panic attacks uh, since um, getting help and all that, and those aren't uh, those are basically suddenly everything's going too fast. Your mind can't think, and your heart starts beating too quickly, and you feel like you can't breathe, and maybe you're having a heart attack. Mm. Um, it's not fun. Um, no, as opposed to the other fun mental illnesses, uh, right? <laughs> uh, and and because i've seen some guys that are screaming on the corner i think they're having a blast i think they're having a, a lot of fun right but their signs and colorful outfits right uh, <laughs> now, now, having a hard time at all yeah right. and 
the other key about about the anxiety thing is that it interferes like so that yeah sometimes you just will stop eating which is not good sometimes you'll stop sleeping or sometimes you'll sleep too much you'll just stay in bed all day you'll miss work and it'll be like well who gives who who cares right you know uh there are, and it interferes with your normal functioning uh day to day and sometimes it comes and goes sometimes it just lasts most of the time with me it was i would have pockets where it was an extreme thing here an extreme thing here but then i would have long periods of just feeling pretty good about myself but because i had enough of those anxiety attacks happening and and you know ex- you know the anxiety like really lasting a long time mm-hmm. because that would happen so often i just always had in the back of my mind this assumption that the worst is always going to happen to me um right so it sounds like it shuts off any other sort of logic and just tells you okay this is the worst is going to happen and here are the reasons why exactly and and that kind of feeds the depression and the the there, there are multiple types of depression, but the two specific ones people usually talk about is there's major depressive disorder, and then there's persistent de- depressive disorder. Major depressive disorders, those are the ones where you, the, the symptoms are really strong. They're very uh, major, as in the title, um, and they last for usually a short amount of time. Those are usually the things that happen where, you know something snaps and then someone, you know, someone loses their job and they go into a depression, but then it just goes far beyond a normal depression and it just lasts and it gets really deep. And then all of a sudden they need to check themselves into a hospital because they're having suicidal thoughts or something. Right. Uh, But then they get help, they get therapy, they're out of it. And then they get their life back on track and it's gone. Mm hmm. And not not that it's gone. I'll get to that later. But but right. persistent depressive disorder is you have mild symptoms, so it's not a terrible like always. It's not it's not a, I'm going to kill myself depression. It's a, I hate myself and my life sucks and it'll never get better type of depression. But it just lasts like a long time. It can last weeks. It can last months. It can last years. Wow. And even if it goes away, it'll come back at some point. It'll, you know, um, I mean, I I actually have in my uh, notes here (laughs) from uh, an actual psychology book. So this comes from the actual psychology textbook. Okay, we're getting good. So we graduated from Wikipedia to to a textbook to a textbook okay (laughs) Uh, depression for for the persistent depression it occurs nearly every day for at least two years that's the normal and you could be double diagnosed also so Hmm. you can be have the the persistent depression where it's minor feelings of depression but just like every day of your life and then all of a sudden you get hit with major depression like you know, you hate your job, you hate where you're living, and you hate yourself. But you're making it work, so, I mean, whatever. Life sucks, my life sucks, whatever. And then all of a sudden, you lose that job, and you lose that apartment. 
Now you have that depression, but now you're hit with the major depression. And now it's like, that's when it gets really dangerous. Um, I mean, any kind of depression is dangerous, but you know, it's, there are varying degrees. And even in like my anxiety disorder and my depression with someone else who has the exact same diagnosis is completely different from theirs. And, you know, and, you know, it's like, and, and, and some people are, will think like, well, why can't you just feel better? Right. Well, one, if you want to go to the science of it, it's because of a lack. uh, Now I'm going to get very sciencey here, but I'm going to try and really like make it simple. So the nervous system, it's what, you know, communicates to your brain and to your organs, all the senses, Mm-hmm. It'll, and the thing that communicates between neurons in your nervous system are called neurotransmitters. They're chemicals. And there's a specific neurotransmitter, a specific chemical for each thing, whether it's pain, uh, sleep, melatonin. That's one that a lot of people know about. Mm-hmm. Dopamine. People talk about dopamine all the time. Yep. Um, now, the, the serotonin, that's the one for depression and, and anxiety and all that that there's a lack of it. Uh, sometimes it means there's a buildup of it from one neuron to the other, so they're not flowing. And if they're not flowing from one to another, that means it's not getting to your brain to, hey, feel good about yourself. You know, it's not getting there. It's, it's a lack, it's, it's a chemical, that, that's why it's a sign. It's not just a, uh, oh, I'm feeling blue. It's right. a, I'm not capable with my chem- the chemistry that's in my body right now of feeling these feelings. Right. There's a biological reason for, yeah, for why someone would feel that way. Not exactly. Just, not just choosing to be sad. Yeah. And even, even there where like you can like through therapy and all that, even without drugs, you can, you can find a way to like combat it and all that. There's still the danger of, and there's a movie out there that I saw in high school that I, I was, I recommend everyone to see at least once in their life it's called what the bleep do we know Hmm. it's a really it's like a documentary slash drama marley mantlin's in it it's like this law it's all about it's really hard to explain but in it they talk about emotion but please explain it uh i know it's really hard (laughs) it's hard to explain but But what i what i need from you kevin is like a a five uh, a five word sentence that sums everything up crystal clear so that everyone will go out and see it all right sounds good um i'm you know what uh, i'll save that for another podcast okay we'll we'll, we'll save that for the, well, the podcast where we we improvise where, yeah. where it's like we do improv games and sometimes a song absolutely yeah we'll save it for there yeah <laughs> uh but in the movie they talk about emotions and they and this is one thing i've thought about a lot since uh i've seen it even regardless of my mental illness and all that is they talk about in the movie, how, because your emotions are products of chemical reactions, you can become addicted to those chemicals the way you become addicted to any chemical. Uh, I mean, this is why people continually go back to cocaine or heroin it's because of the feeling of the high and the high right. comes from an excessive release of dopamine mm-hmm. uh, in your system that makes you 
feel good. That's the reward center. Right. And you become addicted to that feeling. So the same way you can become addicted to the feeling of, of a high, you can get addicted to the feelings of happiness, joy, but you can also get addicted to the feelings of sadness and depression and all the negative thoughts, you know, and right. it's like yeah, an addiction. If, yeah. Cause but, it, yeah. So if, if well, being sad is that release of chemicals that you're used to and that you're seeking, you're going to keep going after it. Yeah. Or, or rather the lack of a release, mm-hmm. you know, you just become a, a, adjusted to it. Your body chemistry becomes used to, to that certain level mm. so that it, it, it needs that to continue. Um, disclaimer here. I, I am not a scientist. <laughs> uh, <laughs> if anything, I, if there is a scientist who's listening to this and is like, that's all wrong. Um, uh, do me a favor, uh, you know, uh, write your comments out very legibly. Yeah, they can actually, um, they, they can also, uh, if they're on the anchor app, they can actually send me a voicemail and, and to say, Hey, I, you know, this is what I thought. So, absolutely. So do that or yeah. take your feelings, write them down on a piece of paper and keep it to yourself. please. <laughs> Uh, no, right. but unless, unless I can use it for podcast content, then we don't want it. We don't want it. No. Right. Um, but I mean, I don't claim to be an expert and there, there might be some things wrong here and there, but, um, the, the thing, I mean, the, the thing I really want to get to that was kind of the main point other than sharing my story here was, you know, since I've gotten therapy, it seems like that's kind of the end of the story. I've gotten therapy. Um, I'm in a good place. I got married. Uh, I'm in a good place. Everything's good. I'm, I'm, I have a good kind of uh, safety system around me to help me out. Uh, I'm taking my medicine all the time mm-hmm. and things are good. I'm aware of the problem now so I can stop it before it becomes a problem. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds well, cool. In August of 2017, and I haven't even told you this, and I haven't told anyone this other than my wife. Um, at the time, we, through a bunch of things I don't want to get into, we found ourselves essentially homeless. Mm-hmm. We were moving out of the place we were living in to go into and move into another place. We'd set the move out date. But the move-in date kind of kept shifting. And then eventually it came to we were moving out and we couldn't move into the place we were moving into. Oh, no. So we ha- for like a month and a half, we had to stay in hotels. And, uh, you know, some friends let us crash there for like a week. Um, and then we finally got into our place. But while we were staying in the hotels, I was starting a new job. Uh-huh. I had left JCPenney, which is where I used to work at. I was starting a job as a behavioral therapist, Mm -hmm. uh, working with children with autism. I decided I wanted to be a mental health counselor, and that's where I wanted to shift my direction, which is why I got the behavioral therapist job, because I wanted to do something related to what I wanted to do with my life. I wanted to help people. Yeah. But the feeling of I'm homeless I don't know how for how long I'm going to be homeless. 
and I look over to my wife and she's not in the best way that she can be because of the same feeling like, and there was just this sudden feeling of emptiness and powerlessness. And one day I was on my way to see my first client. I was shadowing another therapist. Um, so I was on my way and I just suddenly realized, you know what, I'm going to, after this, and, and actually not even after that, I was like, you know what, what if I just didn't go to this session? What if I didn't meet my first client? You know, wow. I, and I just thought like, you know what the best feeling is right now? I want to drive up to San Francisco. I want to drive up. I want to go see the Golden Gate Bridge, and I want to jump off. Wow. And that's how I was going to do it. I was like, I'm, I'm going to do it. But then I got to the house, and the lazy part of me, mm-hmm. honestly, <laughs> kicked in. I was like, well, I don't want to just get here and then not go into the house. Like, you know. And, yeah. and then the sensible part of me kicked in, and I was like, you're dumb. You know. <laughs> why why are you even seriously considering this but it didn't help I was still feeling terrible and I was still like the part of me that wanted to do it was like yeah but what else are you going to do you're going to go home to your hotel room and Mm -hmm. just you know feel powerless again right yeah it was still that part of you you was still yeah beating beating you up so I was like you know what I'm going to do is I I need help. I'm going to call the suicide hotline. I'm going to talk to someone and ask for help. And, and I was like, I got to go into the session first because the guide showed up. He saw me. He was like, Hey, and I was like, all right, well, I guess I'll, I'll just think about this later when I get out and I get in the car, I'll drive off to some, you know, somewhere and I'll just park somewhere and I'll call the hotline and talk to someone. Uh, because it, I'd never, I'd had suicidal thoughts from here to there, but there was passing thoughts. This is the first time it actually like stayed where it was. Mm. And so I went into my session. Uh, and honestly, it saved my life. Really? I mean, I, I, I mean, looking back on it, I wasn't close to the edge, possibly as other people were mm-hmm. or have been. I was probably really far away from it and it was probably just going to pass eventually. But being in there in this house uh, with this autistic teenager and learning therapy and just being with him and just, there was so much joy and there was a lot, there was, there was a lot of hard stuff too. And there was a lot of stress, Yeah, but there was so much joy. And I walked out of there thinking, I'll be fine. Cause if any, if anything, I want to see that kid again. Yeah. You know, and I went home and I still struggled with it after that, mm-hmm. you know, with the shame of how could I ever get that low? I thought I was past all this, you know, to ever think about that. And eventually I told my wife and she was upset. I didn't tell her right away. Cause I, I think I waited a couple of days before I told her like, Hey, I started feeling like this a few days ago and I thought about, you know, calling the suicide hotline and, you know, 
Yeah. And and the point of the story isn't to like just bring everyone down, but to remind people that mental illness isn't like a thing where like, okay, I'm done. It's over. Right. It's there's there's not a in the same way you can't get cured from an addiction. So, you know. You right. Can't get, you can't get cured, so to speak. You can get help and you could live a normal life to where it seems like you don't have it but it's always there it's always like crouching and wait right there's always there's always an ongoing battle yeah like anthony bourdain who just recently passed away mm-hmm. you know killed himself he i was listening to a podcast and they were talking about him he said you know when his daughter was born i have something to live for now like he loved his daughter mm-hmm. and you know that was years ago and he was probably in a good place for a very long time yeah but for like a second he wasn't and then he killed himself chester bennington a lead singer of lincoln park that one hit me really hard yeah because you know i was kind of having baby fever in my own personal life and i'd found out he had like i think three or four kids or something like that wow and and the, his wife released a video of the of the night before he killed himself or the night of like before he did it he's like doing something silly with his kids and his family and they're all laughing he's laughing and it was to remind people like it can literally happen to anyone and you just don't know <laughs> and that's the problem with it is you don't it's one thing to put out like call this hotline get help but a large chunk of the time if the person doesn't want help they're not going to they're not going to go get it right and so it's just about encouraging people to like to get over that hump you know cuz you literally have nothing to lose because you already right. think that anyway you already think you have nothing to lose which is why you're in that state to begin with just take the extra step if i mean Odds, uh, the worst thing that can happen to you is it doesn't work, in which case it doesn't really change how you feel. But I guarantee you that's not how you feel, you know, exactly. Um, yeah, yeah, unfortunately, yeah, with the um, which kind of applies to a lot of things, we'd avoid big messes if we would just ask for help, absolutely. But there... for one reason or another, when we don't ask for help, we just bigger mess, yeah. And there's there's sort of this stigma around help of like like you're weak. Oh, you need to yeah. you need to you need to see a, a therapist. Oh, well, you must be weak. Yeah, and then there's also the stigma around like having the thoughts in the first place. And this is what's dangerous: is you have thoughts of suicide, and then you feel shamed that you have those thoughts um, because whenever people talk about suicide, they say that person was selfish. So you convince yourself, I'm a selfish person. I'm a terrible person for having these thoughts. And then it feeds your your own feeling of lack of self-worth is that I'm a terrible person because I've had these selfish thoughts. So I'm a terrible person and I'm going to kill myself. I mean, that's, that's the kind of cycle that can take hold. And the reality, what, I wish we would stop calling people selfish is, and I get the attitude. I get what people are trying to say. 
Right, because I mean, selfish. right, because it does it because what they do affects more than just them. You know, it trickles, exactly trickles down to their you know their their spouses, their to their kids. Exactly, so and we can see that side of it, but there's more going on. There's more going on to it because in the mind of the person who's killing themselves, it's removing the burden of having to care for someone who can't care for themselves, almost in the way that like an elderly person or like. Someone who like has a I won't use elderly uh, someone who has a really old dog who's very sick and has all these problems and you have mm-hmm. to spend all this money when they finally pass away. There's the sadness of my dog passed away, you know, my best friend passed away, but then also the relief of well, at least I don't have to see them in that pain anymore. At least I don't have the burden of having to buy all these pills and buy all these things and spend so much of my time making sure they're okay. I can Mm -hmm. actually have time for myself. That's in a lot of minds of people who attempt or succeed. That's what they're thinking. Right. The the pain of losing this person will be temporary, but eventually in the long run, their lives are going to be a lot better without me. Right. Which is is rather they have a good life because I, I see, I can't seem to, have a good life myself right which is unfortunate because it's certainly not the truth it's not the truth at all and that that's the thing that sucks about and i and i, and I say I, i've said it a couple of times and i put it on facebook too to, you know like de- depression mental illness it doesn't care about logic it right. doesn't care about what kind of job you have it doesn't care about the family you have it doesn't care about the money you have. It, it will go after you no matter what. Mm-hmm. You could have all the greatest things in the world. All these celebrities that are killing themselves. A lot right. of people, they, they had everything. Mm-hmm. What mental illness does is it says, yes, you have everything. You don't deserve it. Who are you to enjoy this? Mm. How dare you? And, and it gets in your head. I have all this stuff. I don't deserve it. There are all these people suffering. And I'm the asshole up here who hasn't earned it, hasn't mm-hmm. earned this happiness that I have in my life. Instead of just accepting that it's a gift, you know, everyone's suffering on one point or another, you know, just be glad for the happiness that you have. You know, there's no need to feel like you haven't earned it, you know. Right. And so, I mean, we've been going on for a while here, so I'll basically... That's my story. Um, I'm changing careers. Uh, as I said at the beginning, yeah. I will always be an actor and I will always try and act, but I've decided essentially because I realized all these feelings in me go back a while. Like I said, back to senior year in high school, you know, and then they just worse. Uh, you know, if I just had the guts to just say like, let me talk to someone about my life. Like, not even a, like, I think I have a mental illness. Just like, I'm not in a very happy place in my life. Maybe I can talk to someone and I can feel better. Then they would have said, well, you know what? Here's why you don't feel good because of this, this, and this. And then, you know, how, how much of my life would I have been spared, you know, that pain? Yeah. You know? How much time did I waste? And I was like, I, I need, I want to help someone. Mm-hmm. I want to make sure that they don't waste 10 years of their life, you know, needlessly 
in pain because they choose to, you know, keep it to themselves. Yeah. Toughen up. Right. Know? Right. Which like, is, I guess, yeah. Which I guess is the only, the only possible upside I can see to you not addressing the issue earlier is that you have a history to go on to say, Hey, I've been where you've been. Yeah. And so I'm going to leave here with two things. There is for anyone listening. Um, if you've made it this far, understand no one knows exactly the kind of pain you're going through specifically, but there are so many people out there who have been through things where they felt the same sense of powerlessness and helplessness that you felt maybe not for the same reasons and maybe not at the same volume, but they felt it and they know they, they can help you. And the national suicide lifeline, it's now the national suicide lifeline. It used to be called the hotline, but I guess they changed it to lifeline because it sounds better. Yeah. That does sound more compassionate. Yeah. Hotline Although I, I have no problem with hotline, but like, cause lifeline just makes me think of who wants to be a millionaire. Oh yeah, that's true. Whereas hotline does doesn't that sound like call it in? You know, yeah. <laughs> you know, call in now, and you know you'll get a free set of steak knives or yeah, like a five hundred dollar value, absolutely free. Um, but the number for that is one eight hundred two seven three eight two five five. And if you don't feel like calling someone on the phone, they're also available online. You can chat. You can do the exact same thing at suicidepreventionlifeline.org. You can, there's a chat room. You can get in. You can talk with someone. There are resources you can use and talk to someone. Trust me, it can save your life. Also, if you're in a really bad space and, like, if you got the knife in your hand, if you're at the bridge, if wherever, just call 911, you know? Even if you're just thinking about it and it's like, I'm going to go do it. Call 911. Those operators will talk you through it. Yeah. You know, Um, and also the National Alliance on Mental Illness uh, or NAMI, um, N-A-M-I dot org. Um, There's a lot of resources for every type of mental illness, um, bipolar disorder, persistent depressive disorder, personality disorders, you know, all the different kinds of things. And they got some really good uh, information, uh, a lot of facts for anyone who needs it. And then also just for things that will pop up, uh, follow uh, an organization. There are two organizations I'd say to follow. One is uh, to write love on her arms, which is a, they have a long history of, of handling depression and also addiction, mainly like addiction and depression and stuff. Um, uh, they have some cool merchandise. A lot of it goes to programs. If you buy them, uh, they have like t-shirts and things like that. The proceeds go to help organizations uh, that help people in those troubles. They also uh, frequently post uh, some really cool stories and facts and, just things that will like brighten your day up or give you some insight. 
Um, the other one is also Project Semicolon. Uh, if you've seen anyone with a semicolon tattoo or an image of a semicolon, uh, essentially the idea is uh, Project Semicolon started it as a symbol of in in a story and bring it all back to the the story idea mm-hmm. in a story when a writer wants a sentence to end he puts a period but a semicolon the writer puts in a semicolon because they could have ended the sentence but they decided to keep going anyway and that's the idea of the semicolon oh wow project semicolon they also have an app now for anyone who's a suicide survivor or has been close or you know they have all kinds of stuff on there to help uh at any time it's not a substitute for therapy and none of these things are really a substitute for therapy at the end of the day the best thing is to just go to therapy um you know talk to your doctor ask them i i need to see a therapist and you know if you can't afford it there are plenty of things online for to point you towards getting that type of help but you know there's so there's so many options out there you just gotta go out and look just google mental illness help and you know you'll find something um so uh that's my story it's uh very long (laughs) (laughs) but a good one though and very and i um and i appreciate you sharing it. it's quite uh i i really appreciate your your honesty um and and really incredible how you not only addressed the issue in your life but you found you believe in so much the importance of it that you changed career paths yeah and you know i i perhaps was more honest than i thought i would be uh, on this um and I'd like to attribute that to the Ric Flair t-shirt that I'm wearing right now. Um, <laughs> uh, if you've never seen, if you haven't seen his ESPN 30 for 30 uh, doc, they made a, uh, the ESPN series 30 for 30 has made a documentary uh, about Ric Flair and his life, the rest of the Ric Flair. Hmm. And he is so damn honest in there. Yeah. Uh, almost to a very painful point. Oh boy. Uh, and it, I mean, it was kind of inspiring on one hand to see someone just owning up to all their faults and all their things and just opening up honestly. Right. Um, and I think that's the main thing for anyone who feels things like this is honesty is just no fear. Just tell your story, mm-hmm. which is why I love the title of your thing um, and why I reached out to you to tell my story, um, because I think we all have a story. They may not, some might be way more interesting than mine. Others might not be, but it's important to you and you should share it. Um, and I, I want to hear them. So, and I know a lot of people who do. So. Well, thank you. Kevin. I appreciate you sharing. Absolutely. Thank you for having me on. You're very well. Thank you. that was the episode i hope everyone enjoyed it uh and i hope that especially if there's anybody out there who 
is going through something and whatever the case may be, you feel like you can't reach out for help, you can. There are professionals and people that you know who are willing to listen. And I also want to thank uh, Kevin for being so helpful and open and honest. Uh, I really think he did a great job. Okay, here's what's happening next time. The story is, these are the times that try men's souls. We're going to be looking at that uh, famous phrase by Thomas Paine and how that may or may not relate to today. That's next time.